Thanks. Hey, Sean, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Look, I got to let you know, I am really excited to have you here. It's been a few months that I've been trying to get a hold of you ever since your NCI, and I saw you on there, and you're also on Tom Marazzo's uh, Man in the Middle. Thank you for taking the time to meet with me today. I really appreciate oh, it. Oh, I'm, I'm so pleased to be here, and I'm sorry we had some scheduling mishaps. I just, after the NCI, I literally, I mean, the emails are counted in the hundreds each day. Yeah. And scheduling things is just a real adventure and babysitting, so to speak. It's, I totally get it. I, I like, I'm scheduling with a lot of people and even Peckford took a couple months. So I totally get it. And I really appreciate it. I just wanted to let you know that. Thank you for taking the time on a Friday afternoon for me. Yeah. Well, so, again, just really, really pleased to be here. Thank you. Um, going through your bio, I'm impressed, Sean. I'm really impressed. Uh, the, the work that you're doing with the, um, uh, health rights, uh, the stuff that you did with the NCI, uh, co-founder, did I read that right? You were part of the co-founding of the NCI? Yeah, well, there were, I think, like about 12 of us that got together and, and started it. Now, some left and, and some new ones have come, come in, as happens with groups and with mm -hmm. projects that go on and on and on, because that's, uh, <laughs> that was a big project. It's funny now, in retrospect, I wonder what were we thinking? Because it was so big, right? Well, it was needed. I think that's what you were thinking. But I guess you guys didn't realize how big it would get. Well, like, bear in mind, nobody had ever has ever done this. And no one in our group had ever done anything like this. Like some of us, myself included, we were involved in what was called the citizens hearings. And so there's a website, citizenshearing.ca. But like that was just a couple of days of hearing no lawyers involved and just, you know, witnesses showed up and, and basically said what they wanted to say, um, which is a very different kettle of fish. Like when you think about it, you know, so we are a small group of us get together and we decide, well, let's have an independent inquiry. And we felt really strongly about that. Well, how do you even do that? I mean, you've got to come up with rules. You've got to figure out how you're going to structure things even, you know, selecting commissioners. And we thought, well, okay, let's have people be nominated as commissioners. You could nominate yourself, but by and large, we wanted people to be nominated. Mm -hmm. Well, how do you find people that aren't, aren't biased? Or if, because I mean, we all have bias, especially on the COVID issue. So, um, so how do you find people that can then put their bias aside? And what does that application even look like? Like, I mean, our questions really ended up being like the types of questions judges are asked, you know, so, and, you know, it's interesting, like some, I, I remember one candidate, um, you know, really close family member, severely injured by COVID. Right. Well, that's too close. I mean, just like if you had a really close family men, member injured by vaccine, that would be too close. Like we had to screen things out and, um, and then just the coordination of, like we called over 300 witnesses at the end of the day under oath. Well, you know, we had five, six times that apply. Like, so how do you decide which ones? And, and remember, this is all volunteers. Like, so, and, and then how do you, you know, yeah, so you got to vet them, you got to prepare them. You've got, you know, local committees, you've got to organize to put on the hearings. The whole thing was impossible. So did Which you discover it being impossible or you thought it was too oh, impossible? But it, when you think about it, and we had no funds, like 
Jason, when I was up there as, you know, doing the openings and, and asking people like, please donate so we can carry on and do the next set. What I meant was, please donate so we can carry on and do the next set. Like literally, right. we, were, we were paying for it as we went. Like we didn't have a single large donor. We didn't start with, you know, any seed money, nothing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like we would have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people donating like 25 bucks, 50 bucks. I, I don't, no one involved had ever seen anything like that where you basically fund what turned out to be a really expensive and large adventure mm -hmm. by and large with, with a whole bunch of small donations and, and just the different witnesses that or volunteers that would step up and do things. It's um, <clears throat> like, I saw God all over this. So yeah, I think, I think the reason it happened was because it was impossible and the only way, the only way it happened was because God stepped in. Like, you know, time after time, literally at the last minute, a need would be met. And I mean, I can't tell you how many times we were just, <laughs> just on the edge of failing. And yet something really beautiful happened. And I mean, even getting, you know, like volunteer lawyers, I mean, a lot of times they didn't have a lot of time to prepare the witnesses. And you know, if anyone watches and you just start listening to those stories, especially mm -hmm. the lay witnesses, like I found the experts interesting. Sure. But it really was just the ordinary Canadians and didn't matter where you were on on the COVID spectrum, you know, because we called people that were injured by COVID. We called people that were injured by vaccine. We called people that weren't injured at all, but you know their school was messed up, or their kids had problems with this or that, or economic problems. Like we try to, in every angle you can, just what the heck happened, so that we could come up with positive recommendations. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> but I did not anticipate that there would be so much emotion, and that there would be something. I, I don't, you know, Jason, I don't even know what word to use. Like everyone that that traveled with the hearings, so, you know, myself and my wife and the four commissioners and the AB team, which traveled with us, and, you know, Michelle, our spokesman, who traveled with us, every single one of those people that, that did this whole experience um, basically couldn't couldn't function well after we were finished. Vicarious liability or vicarious trauma. You know, I, I don't know what you call it. And, you know, so on the one hand, like we all just felt so honored to be part of what was going on and um, like really privileged because here we had people like just who were many of them totally terrified to testify. If you can imagine in Canada in 2023, people were afraid to actually just tell their stories. Yeah. And, you know, we had we had witnesses drop out. I mean, we had some get too sick to testify, but we had some drop out because they were afraid of of consequences at work. And we had some who were afraid that their family would ostracize them more or give them grief for their friends in 2023. And over, they're not wrong either. And they're not wrong. They're, they're not wrong. And it but this is why I think God wanted this to happen is because 
we first of all, I think he wanted to hear from his people. I mean, he knows knows what we were going to say, but there's still something about hearing it. Mm-hmm. And and I think we needed to hear it. I think collectively, and it didn't. It doesn't matter if you didn't watch live. You just go to the NCI site and you just pick any day, and you watch the whole day, and you won't be the same. And you'll have to watch more, and you'll laugh with us, and you'll cry with us. And, you know, every emotion in between some, you know, um, you know, from joy to, to anger to sadness, the whole thing. It's almost like a soap opera in what you can experience. But <clears throat> there's just something about us coming together. And then, you know, I think collectively we all got hope from this. Because we all we all came to realize we're not alone. Right. Like we're actually the majority. That's the funny thing, you know, while they're positioning us for another lockdown and, and all of this crazy stuff. Although, you know, it shouldn't work. There should be enough of us that just say Yeah, no. I don't think so. I think it would be tough for it to work this time. <laughs> well, there's still a third of true believers, right? And then, you know, even those that, you know, so I, my understanding is basically there's, you know, a third of us that still are the, the true believers. And, you know, maybe most of those will never never be anything but true believers and and you know you have to understand like truly it's difficult to accept that the mainstream media is propaganda and not news I right mean, and difficult to accept so well, that the government would hurt you on purpose too oh yeah like the the idea that the government would intentionally deceive you and move you into a specific you know course of action which you know is totally offensive from a rights perspective i mean if the vaccine was saline and, and couldn't hurt anyone, and this was just all about money, it's still outrageous. But, but you know, the fact that we'd never use this technology on a large scale, like, you know, when you're talking about a small number of terminal cancer patients, you, you can't draw any conclusions from that. We're, this was intended for the, the, the entire population it was brand new technology. It was rushed. The quality control was horrendous. I mean, and this is just mm-hmm. the best case scenario. Like, let's not right. even go to what was really intended. But I'm just, you know, you're just an average Joe. And, you know, this is just like rushed because everyone's in this mass psychosis, what, you know, whipped up by media frenzy, which, you know, without any ill intent, governments love that because it gives them power and they can be the heroes. Like, <clears throat> That's not what I believe happened. <laughs> but, right. We can get you know, into but, that a little bit. But we can end. We, you know, all of this can happen with just, you know, a frenzy. And and a lot of the politicians believed. And a lot of the judges believed. A lot of the doctors still believe. You know, somebody close to me was talking to a doctor that um, you know, they hadn't seen in about two years and was talking about vaccine injury and the, the doctor wouldn't hear any of it saying, you know, wow. laugh like, well, you know, the journals say it's safe. And you know, that person's not reading the journals and then they're captured by their training, which tells them these journals, it's all peer reviewed. And this is the science. This is the truth. It's like a religion. Science has become, you know, when religion is, is criticized for manipulating people, I, I don't think any religion has ever been as manipulative as the religion of science has been because it's the absolute objective truth, isn't it? Right. That's what we're taught. And yet it's used as a weapon 
you know, against us to control our behavior. But back, you know, back to the NCI, um, we learned we weren't alone. Like, I think we're the majority. And we learned we didn't have to be afraid anymore. Fear is just something that happens. And we, and we weren't ready for this. Like, Jason, had you ever been locked down before? No. Had you ever, you know, had to wear a mask to go get groceries? Had you no. ever been, you know, excluded from hockey games and restaurants while, you know, people around you are going through this police state ritual, completely oblivious to what they're doing? And I'd, I'd love to talk about that in a, in a second. Like this, because sure, it's so important as they're trying to get us to do this again. And, you know, as the World Health Organization has adopted a platform for digital health passports, it's so important that people understand this is a police state ritual that has to be avoided. But, you know, we're not alone and we can and we can be we can stand together for the first time. We don't have to be afraid anymore. And we can start taking personal responsibility for the state of Canada. I mean, it, it's an absolute wreck because of you and me. Because, yeah. you know, the biggest lie that we were taught and anyone who thinks the education system isn't just a deliberate tool to give us a world paradigm to control us um, really did pay attention in schools. So, <laughs> you know, and now that's not that now that's an insult, not a compliment. So um, but I think the biggest lie in this because, you know, we've lived in this greed culture and this bread and circus culture and this culture where no, your institutions will take care of you. Like we live in one of the freest countries in the world. We were taught, I mean, Canada, I mean, our institutions are there. We're a liberal democracy. And the biggest lie was we didn't have to participate in our institutions. You didn't have to go to school board meetings. You didn't have to know people on the school board. And if you had any concern about their character, make sure that you ran or somebody else you trusted ran and you supported them. You didn't have to be involved in municipal politics. You certainly didn't have to be involved in provincial politics. That's why we have elections, right? And same right. with federal politics. Now that, that's the lie. And, and the curious thing, Jason, is, is, is we all know that, yeah, we'll cast our vote really for, you know, who we think will be the least damaging but we know from experience they're not going to keep their election promises by and large no, it's a joke and, right when we do that and we know on important policies like you know policies involving our health or you know really this concentration of power in the federal government using money so we're really no longer a confederation anymore all of this stuff politicians can't resist it's too far down the road so you know the whole system is captured but we don't, but we somehow thought this was okay. And we, and we didn't have to participate. And that's how all of this happened. I mean, I'm a member of a law society. I, I didn't think that I had to get on the law society board or support people that actually had, you know, a different way of thinking. Um, it didn't occur to me I had to be involved. Like people who want to be judges go and get involved in stuff like that in political parties, like in the legal sphere, not people that just want to, you know, carry on. So we don't think we'd endure a bad policy or a bad tax, but we didn't have to be personally involved. And that was one of the, that was the big lie. That was the big lie. Because the truth is 
You have to be involved. You can't not be involved on on every level you can. You know, you don't like a tranny doing school hour in your kid's kindergarten class. Well, it's your fault. Right. Get involved. Change it. They're, organize the parents in the school and take over the school board and you'll solve it. The administration will tell you, no, no, they're the ones that make those decisions, which is a lie. And then you can fire the administration for lying to you and you can take control over the curriculum and you can build a curriculum that you believe is in your child's best interests. It's actually your personally, personal responsibility. You have a, that personal responsibility to your kids. You know, your five-year-old shouldn't be coming home from class asking, you know, your kindergarten student, you know, am I going to be a boy or a girl when I grow up? Like, right. they shouldn't be having that confusion. And, you know, every single level. So this, I mean, COVID thing, isn't it crazy that every institution just acted in such a crazy fashion? Well, let's take over the political parties. This is I mean, one of the things we talked about here in Alberta. Yeah, well, I know. Take back Alberta. They really set the model. Now, they focused on the UCP. Mm -hmm. They're figuring out they need to broaden that to the other parties. But we need to do that federally. I'm actually involved in a group. We're, we're going to organize this federally, all 338 right parties. We have, to, we have to do it by province also. Um, but it's not for a political mandate. It's to teach people that they have a responsibility to join all parties. You're left winger, join the NDP. But but you know, just get normal people on there making the decisions there. You you elect the people to the policy. You change the party rules so you can recall MPs that aren't responsive to local things. Control the party whip. Like let's why are we putting up with this, us not having un, no control? Well, we live in a party system and we weren't taught we have to control the parties. And and I don't, I'm, when I say control, I mean just being involved so you have a voice at the party. <clears throat> our government is a political party. That's how our system works. You, you don't control the government at the election. You have influence in the government by participating in the political party process. But we weren't taught this so that a few, you know, a small number of people could have an enormous impact on policy and direction and control. Well, now we're waking up and this is so simple, Jason. It I mean, is it, because it, people need to take the power back. That's why it sounds simple. It, that's, that's all it is. Is All that's happened is, is we, we gave up our power by not being involved. Right. And all we do is we get involved again and then we have our power back. Like, and, and literally we could do it. We could do it in months. Well, we optimistically, what would that I mean, look we're, like? We're, we're going to organize and try and try and get this bus on the road really quickly because because it is so simple. And and it is resonating. Like one thing I've noticed is, and and I have to say, I mean, I was surprised by how much God was moving at the NCI. I mean, I, I could talk all day about that. I still want to get to that police state ritual though. But um, but you know, since the NCI, I am seeing that that he's basically telling people, you have to take personal responsibility for your, and get involved. Like basically you're a soldier in an information war. Yeah, you were surprised and scared, but you're not surprised 
and you have no excuse to be scared anymore, it's time to get involved. Oh, I it's, love it's this. time to get involved. And, and people are understanding that. Like people are understanding that they need to get involved. And, you know, there's all these freedom groups. They just, you know, tired. They've been marching and holding rallies and trying to wake people up for years and just getting frustrated and worn out. And, you know, the thing that gets my goat is that people do not support the, the freedom groups financially. I don't know if they support you financially or you're basically living like a pauper. There's no excuse for that. So I'll just say to, to your listeners, Jason, or your viewers, you have to support Jason. You have no idea how much work goes into these types of podcasts, finding the guests, interviewing them, figuring out what they're going to say, putting this on. And he's doing this to help you. And you're living high off the hog and he isn't. It's not like we're in a third world and we can't afford to support people that are actually, we, are, we would have no freedom without them, no chance of freedom without them. And there's freedom group after freedom group after freedom group that have had initiatives that could really make a difference that have stalled. Because just like we were taught we don't have to be involved with our time, we were taught we didn't have to be involved with our money, that, that we could be apathetic. And that must change now or we will be enslaved. You start funding people like Jason and the other freedom groups and you get involved and we solve this. So I, everyone needs to understand that you have to treat your neighbor like yourself. It's the second commandment. This isn't, this isn't optional. This isn't mandatory. How dare you watch podcasts like this and learn and be educated and strengthened and not support them? How dare you? Like, how yeah. dare you do that? Because that's not treating your neighbor like yourself. That's, that's really treating people like Jason with disdain. Because you know he's doing this for a living. You know he's struggling. And podcaster after podcaster is in that situation. It's very few that are doing okay. And, and shame, shame on all of us. Myself included. Because I've had that attitude too. I didn't get it. We're all just, wow. we're all just waking up here. So. No, I'm going to be fair, fair to the audience. It's also a two way road. We, we, the people that need the help need to learn how to ask for the help because I don't ask for the help. I, I don't even give the ability to really do that because I don't know how to. Um, so part of, I think part of the challenge too, is it's a two way road. Um, I need to show how I can use the support and how, what I do with it and then continue to provide for it. I got to show the value, but I also got to ask for it. And I don't know how to do that because I feel like I'm just taking from people that may not have enough or can I give a little bit more? Like it's a two way road too. So I got to learn. Yeah, how to well, I mean, yeah. So you just, you have to have some way for people to, you know, donate and, and whatever. Um, you know, even if it's just having a, an address where people can send you money because everyone's so afraid now of e-transfers and stuff yeah. like that. Um, but the fact that you would have to send money is a testament to the fact that you have to send money, right? Because things are so off the rails that it's absolutely crazy. Um, but you know, the point I'm making is, 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 you know, that these people are, are not getting paid, that they're, you know, they're putting their livelihood on the line, literally, mm -hmm. and, and we need to support them and empower them and let them know that they're appreciated. And I mean, I'm not good for asking for money either. I mean, I'm I, uh, still working with the NCI and 
we're actually um, probably going to have a press conference next week and release part of the commissioner's report. If you know, if we can get all our ducks in a row by men Monday, we have to make a decision. So I'm kind of giving you a teaser because if we release it, just be a small part. Like the commissioners are working hard. Remember, they're mm -hmm. they're volunteers on this. Um, like a government commission will have like probably a million dollars allocated to a writing team that actually starts writing before they even start hearing witnesses. And we have none of that. We've got like four volunteers <clears throat> tasked with writing a report where we called over 300 witnesses over 24 hearing days. And we didn't sit, you know, six and a half, seven hours a day. Like we'd shut down at 10 at night because we wanted every witness to get a voice. And, and those commissioners, um, really worked with us on that it was a testament to their character that you know they were there to give people a voice also but just a huge task but someone in the nci who i won't name um thought you know we should ask the commissioners if on a certain topic that has now become super relevant and the topic was picked before it's become super relevant i won't won't say more than that <laughs> but could we release that you know, basically around the time Parliament's starting, because Parliament's starting on September 18th, they open again. And the commissioners agreed, and we're just seeing if we can put that together. So I just, you know, kind of a teaser that, you know, if we do release that part, it's going to be like super important. Um, but, you know, I'm part of a, so I'm still working with the NCI, but I'm, I'm working with another group called the Natural Health Product Protection Association. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, and, and maybe we'll segue into that in a second, but we were just talking about finances. Well, this is a nonprofit organization that I helped form in 2008 to protect our health rights, but with particular emphasis on protecting our access to natural health products and the practitioners that use them. And, you know, the funniest thing, Jason, is, is if Health Canada you know, got some initiative on that really does threaten us, um, for a short period of time, we'll get financing. Like, not a lot, but, you know, some, which is just wonderful. And then, you know, the crisis goes away and we don't get any funding. Like, just nothing. And we go into hibernation and hope we can kind of survive until there's another big thing so we can resurrect ourselves. And we're in, we're in like, another big thing, which we'll talk about. Like, basically, you know, you want to be in a chemical pharmaceutical box where the only option is some vaccine. I'll talk about how we're getting there, but I have to talk about the state ritual first, if you will let Please me. do. So, I don't know, what province are you in, Jason? Alberta. Okay. So, I'm in Alberta also. And... Um, Whereabouts in Alberta are you? St. Albert. You're not far from me. I'm in Breton. Oh, okay. Maybe we'll we should have on. a coffee soon. We'll go yeah, see. we should. Absolutely, yeah. we should. So... Um, and my understanding is, is Alberta was it, hard to believe one of the freest provinces. <laughs> but, um, you know, you'll remember, and just, you know, for your viewers who don't know what happened in Alberta, I mean, it got to the point where you had to have identity papers um, for anything but essential services. So, you know, if you wanted to go to your kid's hockey game or a restaurant, you had to have government identity papers, which, you know, meant that you had had two shots of the COVID-19 vaccine. Right. And, and in, the, in the, the darkest days, when we were totally divided between vaccinated and unvaccinated, and I want to talk about that too, 
um, in those darkest days when we were, you know, totally trained to hate each other and there's these artificial groups, um, we would hear things like, you know, well, why don't we put the vaccinated in camps? I mean, I think even a politician said said that. And, and you know, media. We should, we should deny them health care. And the public would chime in like, you know, well, it was in the media thing. Like these types of things were mentioned. Like they, we, that the vac- unvaccinated shouldn't be allowed to access health care because, mm-hmm. you know, they deserve it. And, and people in their hate would, would chime in and say, yeah, if they die, they deserve it type thing, right? Mm-hmm. Now, <clears throat> let's talk about when you're free to go to a restaurant. Because when you're free to go to a restaurant, what goes through your head is um, things like, do I want to cook tonight? And we didn't take anything out of the freezer. Um, or am I, you know, I'm craving that Mexican food. Why don't, you know, we're like, why don't we go to a Mexican restaurant? Um, or it's a special occasion. But all of these things, when you're free, the only consideration is, do you want to do it? I mean, maybe right. it might be, can I afford it? You know, I, we all remember those university days. <laughs> you know, can I, can I afford it type thing, right? That so, still falls um, under the want. How you spend your money is still a want. Right. But, the, but it's all about, yes, what do you want to do? But what happened in Alberta, and, and what I found particularly interesting, it probably happened in other provinces too, is those people that had identity papers and were going to restaurants on social media would gloat that they could do this yeah, and that people that did not have the identity papers could not. And I remember thinking, you truly don't understand what you're doing. You truly do not understand that the joke's on you. And, and how dare you do that in front of your kids if you've taken a kid to a restaurant? Because the identity papers to access a restaurant or go to a hockey game, despite what the government said, has it, it it has nothing to do with contract tracing or anything like that just like you know when um, you know the hard police states like stalinist russia or nazi germany would set up roadblocks within you know at major intersections in cities mm-hmm. and check your papers and you they'd all have to be in order for you to even just go to a different district jason they didn't care to know that you were going to a different district that like that that information was completely meaningless to them. They knew where you slept at night. If, if they wanted to track you down, they could track you down. What it is, is, is it's a ritual that every time you go through it, it subconsciously reinforces that you are now a slave. Right. You're not free to undertake an activity. And your master, the state, grants you permission. So remember when you're free, well, if you go to a restaurant or not, the only, do I want to do this? Like for whatever factors you're thinking about, do I want to do this? But when you have to show your government identity papers to be given, granted the state's permission to go into the restaurant, it reinforces in your mind, subconsciously, that you are not free you do not have the right to do this. You're not free. You are a servant and your master grants you the privilege when you go through this ritual. So police states use, police states like Canada, 
use identity papers to subconsciously condition you to accept the fact, because it's a fact if you go through the ritual, that you are a servant and that you need permission from your master of the state to participate in that activity. And Jason, parents took their kids to restaurants. Yeah, and taught them. And their children watched them participate in a police state ritual. And our children watched us, whether we had identity papers or not, our children watched us for the very first time being afraid of our government. And I'm a two-row type of guy because what we also did there was the people who did that emboldened the government, the police, and the checkpoints to continue with their activity because people were complying and not stopping them and, and not resisting them. So it was a two-way road. We were being trained to be slaves. We were also training our masters to be masters at the same oh, time. Oh, absolutely. So you know what I find so frustrating is I think there was one hospital, I think it was in BC, where the nurses said, no, we're not going to we're not going to do this. And the hospital backed down. Like, why didn't all the doctors and nurses or a good you know, majority or even half just say, no, we're walking out. You, you're going to require this and we're not doing it. The state would have had to have backed down. Agree completely. And this is why it is our fault. I agree completely. Because we did comply. We didn't even resist, even when we knew better. After two weeks was done and the curve wasn't done, I think that's when we made our mistake on day 15. Yeah, I mean... Because I want to give them a little bit because we didn't know. Earlier than that. So, um, but, but definitely when we allowed this to go on. Exactly. It's like the first two weeks, I'm like, okay skeptical and all we don't have information at all but two weeks all right but three week and then four week like at that point we should have said no way these guys don't know what they're talking about uh they were off on the two weeks we should have stopped now uh so day 15 i think is when we really started to really mess up uh, there's a little bit of benefit of the doubt and a little bit of uncertainty at the beginning but on day 15 we knew better they they were wrong it's simply wrong we should stop listening to this group right now um yeah, there's well, a lot that didn't do that. <laughs> but you know, we were scared. Mm-hmm. You know, like and, this and they had a good grip on us at that point too. By the way, just oh, absolutely. It, it by day totally fifteen, we were scared. They had our cell phones mapped. Like, if I left my area, I was getting a text message. Like during those fourteen days, they were really conditioning us daily. So by the time we hit fifteen days, not many of us were left to fight back. The, you know, the wife and I had to stop watching the mainstream media. And now we don't even have cable. We couldn't. We'd have Good. to just use the internet <laughs> if we wanted to. Um, but we just found we were becoming so afraid that we had to turn the TV off. And it took about a month. And it's interesting. Um, I was watching Dell Big Tree, And this might be six months ago. It might even be more. And it was when the monkeypox thing was kind of raising its head. Okay. And... And I don't know why, but he just, he had a little clip where maybe for four minutes he was showing mainstream media reporting on monkeypox. Like it was a short period of time. And I'm watching this and I found by the end of it, I was terrified. Like people, like really smart people get paid a lot of money and large groups of them to figure out how to evoke fear. Like right down to what's moving on the screen and the banners underneath all of this. 
is deliberate to manipulate our emotions. And like, wow. I mean, you gotta you gotta admire the work. But now, you know, we're two years in, like shame on us. Like if you even watch the mainstream media, what are you doing? Like, what on earth are you doing? Like, you know, I, I learned during the first Gulf War. That was that was kind of my opener about the mainstream media. And, and you all remember the story. So, you know, Iraq has invaded Kuwait. Like, they, they truly invaded another country. Like, you know, there can be international justification to step in and, and, and push Correct. They off. didn't give us a pretense. They didn't tell us why they went in there. They just said they're in there. Well, you know, let's the slanted let's, drilling, let's, horizontal let's drilling. Let's not ask for balanced journalism, and I don't even know why why they did or didn't go in there. But oh, the but drilling. The United, but the United States is trying to create public support for them going to war, and I'm watching this story. I, I'm pretty sure it was on CNN and a couple of other networks, and then you know Canadian news, and everyone picked it up. But I remember watching the story that. Iraqi soldiers went into a neonatal care unit in a yes. hospital and took the premature babies out of the bassinets. And obviously they're going to die when that happens. And there was, you know, this nurse from Kuwait testifying about all of this. And we yes. find out later she's not a nurse. She's the ambassador's she's daughter. And she yes. hadn't been to Quebec and Kuwait for years. There's no way she could have witnessed this. The whole thing was a fraud. And that, like, that was kind of okay. You're 100% right. I remember that completely. She talked about using the butts of the gun so they would say bullets. She had this whole story about how they were just crushing the skulls. And by the way, the war started because U.S.-backed Kuwait was doing horizontal drilling under the border into oil fields into Iraq. And Iraq said no more. But it was a U.S.-based Kuwait or back to Kuwait. Anyways, that was the beginning, but you're 100% correct. This this witness came out, horrific story. She cried. She talked about the the heads being crushed in. They wanted to say bullets, and this is why they were doing that. And of course, the entire world was completely up in arms and, and horrified by that. And almost anything is possible at that point. That was 100% uh, false. Um, it was, it was know, a complete, it was complete fabrication to manipulate us. And I'm just using that. That's you know, Jason, where I, you know, really became clear in my mind that I cannot trust the mainstream media. Right. So and that was you know, CNN, too, if you remember. That was cable news that brought that one to us and early yeah. cable news, too. And my word, um, you know, I've been down the rabbit hole for a long time. I won't go into the reasons why, but, um, you know, I, I was dragged in there kicking and screaming, literally. So, um, but, you know, remember how we were talking about how we don't have to be afraid anymore mm -hmm. and we, we don't have to comply. I have to share the story of one of the witnesses at the NCI, Regina okay. testified in Red Deer and she was a political refugee. Well, she is, she's a political refugee still from Poland and she had been involved in the solidarity movement from the beginning. And, you know, if you remember the solidarity movement, you know, it was trade unions, and they were, you know, holding strikes and, and trying to bring down the police state. And they weren't getting traction. And, and, and then once they did start getting some traction, the leaders are arrested. Right. And so, you know, the, the people that are left in the movement, like they have to be taking care of the families of the people that were arrested. And, um, and she was handing out pamphlets 
that went against the government narrative. And she was arrested and sentenced to, I think, three and a half years in jail by a military tribunal. <clears throat> and the, I don't know, maybe she served two years before she was released and then became a political refugee to Canada. But when I was, it, I don't think it came out on the stand when she was testifying at the NCI, but when I was interviewing her to prepare her for the stand, she was telling me, you know, we just couldn't get people out on the streets. Like we, we couldn't get basically the people to support us. And it wasn't until the bread ran out. It wasn't until people got hungry right. and the bread ran out and then people take to the streets. Now, Jason, you, you watched that revolution from afar. It was peaceful. It was a peaceful revolution. Poland was a communist police state, right down to the secret police and people disappearing in the middle of the night and people afraid to speak up. And they peacefully took down a police state that had been there for four decades. And the crazy part is they, they waited until the bread ran out, but at any day, on day one of the police state, they could have they could have shut it down on right. day two on every day of those four decades that they were a police state and cowering in fear. If they had simply gotten together, they could have peacefully taken back their government as they finally did when the bread ran out and, and we're the same, you know, so here we are being maneuvered. Thank goodness we're not in Canada because apparently there's this scary variant of COVID in Canada. Sure. You know, it's going to break out and go around the world, and we're all going to need to be masked and locked down and get a booster. Mm -hmm. And it won't even be for this variant, it'll be for the last variant, which we're told is similar enough that you know it, it's going to cover us, you know, like the last five or six shots did. New and improved, better than the last. This one will work this time, safe and effective for real. This is all the marketing, right? Yeah, well, I mean, and that's that's the big lie. It's funny, not a lot of people watched. I actually testified at the NCI, even though I was, you know, heavily involved as counsel. But at the Quebec hearing, it's just we couldn't find somebody else who would testify on this. So nobody ended up watching it because it was the end of the day, I think, in day two in, in Quebec. And as soon as an English guy starts talking English, the, the French speakers, they, they shut off. It's the end of the day, and now you've got some English guy talking. And in all fairness, they can't understand what I'm saying. I tune out too. And the English people aren't watching because the whole day's been in French and we can't, right. can't so so it's almost like the secret testimony. But it was actually on the test. Because you know, we hear in the United States, oh, there's this emergency use authorization. But we don't have an emergency use pathway for drug approval in Canada. So we did it a little differently. About a month, so, and I, I'll just back up and say, it, in the normal drug approval world, so, you know, the COVID-19 vaccines would be considered what we call a new drug mm -hmm. in Canada. You do have to prove safety and efficacy. So, you know, you, you establish the safety profile, you establish the efficacy profile. And then and only, then and only then, once you understand it, safety is a relative thing and efficacy is a relative thing, but... Once you understand the safety profile and once you understand the efficacy profile, 
then and only then can you do a cost-benefit analysis. Is this a good idea? You know, is it safe enough and does it work enough that, you know, we can handle the risks that it does have because the benefits outweigh the risk? But you have to understand if you don't really understand the safety profile and if you don't really understand the efficacy profile, you can't get to this cost-benefit analysis. Now, about a month before the first two submissions, I think they were Pfizer and Moderna. I could be wrong on that, but I think it was Pfizer and Moderna. So it was less than a month before they filed. The Minister of Health issued an interim order exempting all COVID-19 drugs from having to go through the regular process where safety and efficacy have to be proved, and then we do this cost-benefit analysis. And in fact, the test that was used, it's a, it's a purely political test, the word safety isn't even mentioned, Jason. And the word efficacy isn't even mentioned. So the test is, and this likely will be a direct quote, <clears throat> I might have one word wrong. It starts, the minister has sufficient evidence to support the conclusion. I'm just going to stop there. This is just the first part. But I'm going to say that again and then tell you why this is already crazy madness in a political test. So the minister has sufficient evidence to support the conclusion. Now, the minister is Health Canada. So the minister of health doesn't do vaccine approvals um, at the minister's office. So the minister means Health Canada. Usually in a drug approval test, you have to convince Health Canada of something. So it should be the minister has sufficient evidence to conclude. Right, not to support the conclusion. The minister has sufficient evidence to conclude, meaning you have to convince Health Canada of what follows. But it doesn't say the minister has sufficient evidence to conclude. It says the minister has sufficient evidence to support the conclusion, not Health Canada's conclusion. So, so really now we're first. really now what we're talking about is is let's say it's Pfizer applying. Pfizer can has sufficient evidence to make an argument to support the conclusion. So Pfizer has enough sufficient evidence to, to make an argument. The minister doesn't have to accept the argument. Now, important to note, <clears throat> I'm going to carry on with the test, but poor health Canada. They're legally obligated to grant an authorization if it's, this test is met. So it's mandatory. If Pfizer can make the argument of what follows. Not discretion. And, and I'm going to read the whole test, or I won't read it. I'm just doing it from memory. But the word safety is not there, and the word efficacy isn't there. So, so Health Canada has no choice. They have to grant an authorization if this test is met. So the whole test reads, the minister has sufficient evidence to support the conclusion that the benefits of the drug outweigh the risk, having regard to the uncertainties concerning the benefits and risk and the urgent public health emergency presented by COVID-19. Safety doesn't have to be proven, it's not even mentioned. Efficacy doesn't have to be proven, it's not even mentioned. And even though we use risk-benefit analysis, you don't have to prove that the benefits outweigh the risk. You just basically have to be able to make an argument benefits outweigh the risks. And it's written right into the test, having regard to the uncertainties concerning the benefits and risks. Jason, it, my firm does drug licensing. In the drug approval world, if safety is unknown, like if it's un uncertain, there's no approval. And if efficacy is uncertain, there's no approval. Like this is a political test. And then you load in there and the urgent public health emergency 
presented by COVID-19. So do you mean a respiratory virus that is safer than, you know, a bad flu season? We abandon safety as a requirement for drug mass drug approval. And we, we, you know, say you don't have to prove it works. It's just there's a public health emergency, so approve it. And the curious thing is, is, is Canadian law does not allow anyone, including the government, to import a drug that has not gone through these safety and, and efficacy testing. But this interim order allowed the federal government to import a whole bunch of COVID-19 vaccines. So the government's paid Pfizer and the other companies while the government waits for itself to approve the vaccine that it's it's purchased. No conflict of interest there. None at all. They come, no. up, they come up, you could, you literally could have Windex approved under this test. It, it's shameless. And yet all the public messaging was safe and effective. Well, that's political messaging. It's not truthful. It's, it's political messaging. I think the Canadians would be shocked to learn that the COVID-19 vaccines have not been proven to be safe and effective. They were proved under, approved under a test that didn't require that. And the test was deliberately tailored because they didn't want them to have to prove that. <clears throat> and why? Why did they exempt companies like Pfizer to this day? 2023, Pfizer doesn't have to prove that their COVID-19 vaccine of any variation is safe or effective. How can that be today? Well, we're not demanding it for starters. The people are taking it for a second. And who's holding anybody accountable and checking their homework? And why is the minister making the final decision? Yeah, well, why why is the minister exempting? And, you know, it's a new technology. I mean, it's only been used in, you know, small groups of terminally ill people on trial bases, which is, you know, no, you, you can't glean any safety or efficacy evidence from that. Um, you know, what about these, you know, lipid nanoparticles? That that was brand new, really, mm -hmm. except again for small small numbers of, of special patients that we can't generalize to the population. I mean, the fact that we approved this for kids. It's why I got involved in the NCI. Look, when we go through McDonald's and we place a large order for a family, we stop and check to make sure they got it right. And about 30% of the time, there's an error and a mistake. What I'm getting at is when you get into production, mass production, you get into assembly lines, there's going to be errors and there's going to be problems. They scale the production of this thing up incredibly fast in a small period of time. How could you expect it to be perfect? How could you? We can't even get McDonald's to be perfect, but yet Pfizer and Moderna are going to make millions of vials completely perfect with no contamination and we're going to be able to deal, deal with this. That's assuming that this thing is effective at all. I'm just talking about the manufacturing side of things. Well, yeah, yeah. Tem well, and, and we had the European Union, you know, find that the manufacturing was just atrocious. You would expect it to be, honestly, if you're in business or manufacturing, like we can't make cars without a recall. Like you would expect errors and problems. This is why we have recall and, and ways to fix it after the fact. How did we all just forget that even on a manufacturing distribution supply chain level, this is going to be unprecedented. It was going to well, be massive. You, you mentioned the word recall. I mean, normally, once the Minister of Health has approved a new drug, if, you know, further <clears throat> evidence comes to the minister, such as through, you know, 
um, requiring the company to furnish further evidence or other you know, drug submissions on similar lines, if new evidence comes up to suggest it's not safe and not effective, the minister has the power to order recall. But this interim order took that power away from the minister Whoa. for a year. So think about this, Canadians. So This is in writing. This is incredible. This, 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 yeah, so actually, I mean, go to the Quebec testimony. And, and as exhibits for my testimony at Quebec Day 2 is actually a, you know, a... a report I wrote on this explaining all of this for the nonprofit Natural Product Protection Association. Because again, it's, it, you know, it's a watchdog for your health rights, right? But think about this. So the minister normally has the power, if new information comes up showing a new drug isn't safe or is dangerous, the minister can order a recall. But the Minister of Health took that power away from the Minister of Health in this interim order for roughly a year for the COVID-19 vaccines. Now, how can that be in the public interest? How, on what planet does the Minister of Health take away the Minister of Health's power to recall a dangerous drug? Like, how does that happen? How do you take away your own power to recall a drug that you learn is dangerous after you approved it? I think you know at that point it is dangerous and you don't want to be in a position to recall it and then be the one that's paused. I think you know that that's going to be something that's coming up, so you get rid of it. It's like taking the brakes out of a car. Oh, it's just, it's, you know, that people would think that the government was acting in the public interest is, is quite fascinating. Now, can we, how much time do we have? Can we say give another hour? Oh, okay. Well, there you go. I don't <laughs> have quite an hour because I've maybe 45 minutes because I've got. Sure, um, I'll take it. I've got a, an NCI roundtable. Fair enough. <laughs> so, fair enough. Of all the reasons to leave my show, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, actually, because, you know, um, I don't know if you watched Sheila Lewis's testimony. Not yet. She was at, I think, day two in Ottawa. And Sheila is the lady that needed an organ transplant. She was under court order not to name the organ. Mm -hmm. And um, so she's testified. So she had, um, she basically, you know, in 2019, found herself in the situation where she needed an organ transplant to live. You have to go through a whole bunch of testing. Like it, it can take a year or so. They want to make sure all your other organs are fine and you're healthy and you're going to survive the surgery. Mm -hmm. And so where they're not wasting their time, you know, either wasting the organ and wasting the surgery on you. And in that process, um, she had had all her childhood vaccinations, but they couldn't find the vaccination records. I mean, because she's a grandmother, like, so the doctor's office and all of that would have long been closed. So it actually took her a year to redo all of her childhood vaccination schedule, because some of them you have to wait two or three months between shots. Oh, so, so she, she retook them all. Oh, yeah, she retook them Just all. Have the she record. Wanted, oh, wow. She wanted this transplant. And then they made the COVID-19 vaccine a requirement and she asked, and it's just been released and it's just been this, these doctors, it wasn't a provincial thing. It wasn't, you know, these dog group of doctors just decided we're going to require this. Mm -hmm. And she asks one of the doctors, is this safe? And without blinking, oh, it's 100% safe. And she basically calls the doctor, like, what's well, just been released? Like, how can we have data that it's 100% safe? So all of a sudden she's suspicious and she starts doing research and she concludes that it would be reckless for her to take this. So they take her off the list. And so she starts court proceedings to get back on in Alberta 
corticoline's bench and she fails. And then Alberta Court of Appeal, when she testified, she failed there at Alberta Court of Appeal. When she testified, she um, has applied for leave to the Supreme Court of Canada. But the crazy thing is, Jason, that she had been tested to see if she had gotten COVID. So, you know, Dr. Stephen Pellick in BC that has a lab and they're experts on testing you for antibodies. They mm -hmm. test her. Well, she had had COVID and had such robust natural immunity, like antibodies everywhere, that doctors like Dr. Pellick was saying it would be actually dangerous for you to get vaccinated. If you've had a condition and you have really strong natural immunity, it's actually dangerous for you to be vaccinated. So she has medical doctors telling her you you shouldn't get this vaccine because you've already had it. You have, have net strong natural immunity. And even with that information, they wouldn't put her back on the list. So she died. She died a few weeks ago. Yes. And uh, I would invite everyone to go to the NCI website. We have um, her testimony in high depth there. And, and uh, you cannot watch it without weeping. It is impossible. But anyway, tonight at, um, at 8 Eastern, we have one of her sons, Darcy Lewis, is going to be joining me for a roundtable and talking about Sheila and talking about what the experience was like. And um, just some interesting information about what happened at the hospital. So, mm, so we pass our condolences to Darcy. Uh, are we allowed to rebroadcast the NCI stuff? Like, can I put it on my podcast? Oh, I, I, I think we encourage everyone to do okay, that as much as possible. Because the whole idea about the NCI is just to get information out. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I mean, we live stream it on a whole bunch of platforms. And I think we, we encourage everyone possible to live stream and cut and repost and all of that. Because... You know, nobody, <clears throat> the whole idea is, is to hear everyone else's voices. So, mm -hmm. yeah, so we, um, we, we understand that that's going to happen. And we, we think it's great. And um, it's, it's really, it's interesting. It, it's only worked because citizens get involved and push things out. But let's, <clears throat> let's switch gears into the natural health products. Yeah, I was just looking at that for the next one. Yeah, please, because we have another 40 minutes or so. Okay. By the way, you're a very good speaker. I'm really intrigued. Normally, I'm asking a lot of questions and guiding the guest. I, I could just sit here and listen to you all day. You're right. a very good speaker. <laughs> well, and if I had more time, maybe I would. So, <laughs> Well, maybe we'll have to bring you back another time, maybe after the report's released or something. Well, actually, after the report's released, I would love to be back because, you know, assuming we're ready and make the decision on Monday to, to release, we actually want to push that information out in really strong detail because it's timely yeah. like when we made well, that here. decision we didn't know it was going to be timely and uh, it's you'll know what i mean if it gets released okay. and that would be that would be on thursday if we do it it's going to be thursday at some um, the english press conference would be at the 14th yeah the 14th at the English press conference would be at 12 o'clock Eastern and the French press conference at one o'clock Eastern. And that all be, you know, we'll, we'll announce it on the NCS site and stuff like that. If we make that decision, I hope we're ready. Do, do you want to book the 19th right now? I have it open. The Tuesday. Look at this, folks. This is how we do it. He talked about me booking. No, and no, I, I can't. I can't because um, my wife and I are traveling to Calgary. 
I've got some. Um, I got the 21st. Oh, I'm in Calgary giving a lecture on the 19th. And then I'm going to go to Rodney Palmer is on at Fire and Ice and Rodney and I are friends. So we're, I'm going to go to that. And then the following day, the 21st, I'm giving a lecture in Calgary to take back Alberta. Cool. We'll take back Alberta. Well, anytime after that, it's wide open. So if you're 22nd, 25th, 26th, you get back to me. Well, if you want a Tuesday, what about the 26th in... Can we do the morning? Yeah, I can give you 6 a.m. Well, what? Yeah, yeah. Ha, ha, ha. Like, I'm going to get up at 6 a.m. You know, Jason, I've been called a lot of things in my life, but I've never been called a morning person. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, then when you say morning, what does that mean to you? 10 a.m.? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I can put you down for 10 a.m. on the 26th. We'll have a special episode because you're releasing some good information there. Yeah, and uh, I'll get your uh, I'll get you the discussion paper. Cool, I'll be ready with that. There you go, folks. This is how we do it. This is how these uh, interviews are done. <laughs> no, no, it's usually much more complicated than that. But True. that's how we did it. That's how we did it today. Okay, yeah. so let's talk about natural products because please we're about two weeks before the NCI finished and. <clears throat> And Health Canada starts making moves that are going to take our natural products away. Yes, this is scary too because you're taking away our ability to do anything we want when yeah. it comes to health. So, so let me first of all tell you a story to illustrate why this is important. Because the reality is, is this is this is life and death. This is just all about money and intellectual property rights. It's not about health. And so I want to tell your viewers how I got involved. In natural products because I'm working on my 29th year practicing law and for all of those 29 years you know roughly half my practice on average has been either defending natural product companies in court when Health Canada charges them okay. or running interference when they're you know being threatened you know take this market product off the market recall this recall that you know, jump up and down and rub your tummy because you're threatening pharmaceutical profits. <laughs> so, and I've been, and I've been running interference. So now I grew up in a family that if you got sick, you went to the doctor. I, I don't even think I'd heard the word like naturopathic doctor or homeopathic doctor probably until I was an adult. Like they just weren't around. At least not where I grew up, they weren't. And I grew up in a small city. Like, it was it was pretty reasonable. And um, so I'm living in Kamloops. And I'm working at a law firm. And there's a herbalist named Jim Strauss in Kamloops who is suing Health Canada. Because Health Canada, this is <clears throat> 1994. And Health Canada hated this herbalist. They would refer to him as a rogue herbalist. And they were outraged, as they explained to me as, as their counsel. And I they waived solicitor-client privilege, so I can talk about this. As they explained to me, this rogue herbalist was selling unapproved treatments, like treatments that Health Canada hadn't approved of. Can you believe that? Like how I would be thinking how totally reckless this was. I, I had no idea that how stupid Health Canada's position was and how reckless it was. But this is what they're telling me. I know nothing about this stuff. 
And so, you know, I'm, ex I'm drinking the Kool-Aid. Oh, yeah, this is dangerous. This herbalist is selling unapproved treatments. And so in an effort to shut him down, he's importing herbs from the United States, perfectly legal for anyone to import. And Health Canada seizes them at the border. Now, Jason, um, because of your background, you probably know, but your, your audience won't know that there's a special legal term that lawyers use to describe when the government takes citizens' property. And that's called theft. <laughs> so he didn't like that the government stole his property. So he was suing them in court. <clears throat> and I get the file and I go to court and I have his case dismissed. He's in the wrong court. It's, um, but he and I got along really well and he took me out for lunch afterwards. And shortly after I start my own firm and in another effort to shut this guy down, the uh, province charges him with practicing medicine without a license because the law that gave doctors in British Columbia at that time their medical monopoly said only doctors can practice medicine. And it defined the practice of medicine so broadly that it included making treatment claims. So anything that made you better was covered. <clears throat> making treatment claims. You couldn't, if you weren't a doctor, it was illegal. A medical doctor, it was illegal for you to make treatment claims. Well, Jim could not, he could not be quiet about curing heart disease. He drove around in a white van covered in red letters, we cure heart disease. Yeah. You know, you bumped him doing the street, oh, excuse me, we cure heart disease. He was religious about it. Now, <clears throat> why he was religious about it, um, he was an older gentleman. In fact, he flew for the German Air Force in World War II. He was from mm -hmm. Austria. And his family had been traditional healers in Austria for four centuries. So over 400 years, his family had been traditional healers. That was the family business. And he was trained by his grandparents, you know, literally every day out into the forest, picking the herbs, tasting them, getting the lectures. He was fully trained in the family business. He didn't want to be a traditional healer. So he goes to university, gets a PhD in electrical engineering. He's working for BC Hydro as an electrical engineer. And he's got, he has a heart attack. He's rushed by ambulance to the hospital. They do an angiogram. He's got one artery 100% blocked, another 80% blocked. They say, Jim, you need a double bypass surgery to survive. Um, he didn't like that idea. I don't know if it was the skill saw or the rib cage and it being ripped. I don't know what part of that he didn't think was a good idea. But he checks himself out of the hospital. He makes these heart drops. He cures himself. He never had an open heart. He never had open heart bypass surgery. He lived at least another 30 years, died in an old folks home. <clears throat> and he he just realizes I have to share this with the world. Right. I mean, he was it saved his life. He was passionate about it. Heart disease, number one killer at the time of men, mm -hmm. likely now because of all of our cell towers and EMF, it's cancer. But back then, it was it was um, heart disease, and so he's he's out there making treatment claims. Because so, it worked on him, so he, he's passionate, though. He's talking oh, about he's what he knows. Oh, he's He is passionate. So he hires me to defend him, and I'm thinking, I'm dead in the water on the facts. Like, the law says only doctors can make treatment claims. He's making treatment claims. 
So I decided I got to attack the law. I'm a constitutional lawyer. We have freedom of expression as a fundamental right in Section 2B of our Charter of Rights and Freedoms. So I let the Crown know I was going to ask the court to strike down that part of the law that gave only said doctors could make treatment claims. <clears throat> and I got to work and the law was on my side. But I had a narrative problem. So even though the law was on my side, whether it's truthful speech or not truthful speech, we have freedom of expression. Well, we did back then, back, you know, back in 95, 96, the charter meant something like it doesn't anymore. But back then, you know, I was expecting you know, the law was on my side, 100 percent on my side. But I had a narrative problem because if the judge accepted Health Canada's narrative that we've got this rogue herbalist selling an unapproved treatment and it was dangerous because then people could delay getting the approved treatments and they could die or their condition could worsen. If a judge accepted that, even though the law's on my side, the judge isn't going to want to rule for us. Right. So I had, to, I had to counter that narrative. So I go to his, um, I go to his herb shop and I say, Jim, is there any way we can prove that you're telling the truth? <laughs> and he goes in the back and he brings me out boxes filled with letters. Now it was right. an odd number of boxes. So it was either three or five. I now don't remember. It was too long ago, <clears throat> but we're talking thousands and thousands and thousands of letters that people felt compelled to write him. And they were literally all the same. Like I had heart disease. I was sick. I was dying. I took air drops. I got well, God bless you. Right. Pure hearsay. I can't enter a single letter into court, but I can call the authors of the letters to take the stand, swear to tell the truth and tell the truth. That's actually the highest level of evidence in court. So I start phoning these people. And on the day of trial, I had five middle-class professionals who had all had heart disease. They had all had at least one open heart bypass surgery. Two of them had had two. They had all continued to have heart disease because the reason their arteries were plugging up was not being addressed. <clears throat> they all needed another bypass surgery to survive. A couple of them were too weak to survive the surgery, so they were sent home to die. And the others were not willing to go through it again just to buy another year or two because it was so invasive. It just... It wasn't worth it. They weren't willing. So for them, the approved treatments were a death sentence, a dead end. Right, right. They all come, come across the heart drops. They all get well. They're all working full-time at trial. Let me repeat that. They're all working full-time at trial. They've been disabled for years and years and years. They hadn't been able to work. <clears throat> and you can't fake that, working full-time. No. Well, two of them were told that they're not... Yeah, two of them were not uh, strong enough to, for surgery. That alone would be yeah. recovered. So, so I had that. That was kind of my road to Damascus conversion experience. Because when I was acting for Health Canada, I drank the Kool Aid and I accepted the narrative that it was dangerous to allow a rogue herbalist to sell an unapproved treatment. Whereas after I prepared for that trial, the reality is the danger was removing that single natural health product from the market. And I could have given you the names, addresses, and phone numbers of literally thousands of Canadians who were only alive. They were only alive because of that single product. And that, that product can't hurt you. I mean, it's, 
garlic that oil. Next, that was my next question. Cayenne and, and, poison you know, or stuff like that. Like, I mean, <clears throat> so that started my journey in natural health products. And then, you know, back then the industry was... What was the result of that court matter? Um, on the day of trial, the Crown stated because they were going to lose. Okay, so he got to continue. Is this a product that we can go buy now? Oh, absolutely. You can you can buy it in health food stores, Strauss Art Drops. <clears throat> They're only allowed to say something, you know, like supports cardiovascular health because, you know, our law censors truthful health information. Mm -hmm. And you, <clears throat> you have to understand, and this context is important for where I'm going with how ridiculous it is what Health Canada is doing. But for most of my life and most of your life, all natural health products have been unregulated. You didn't get the government's approval to sell a natural health product. Give me a break. These are food ingredients that we consume in our food and the remedies we've been taking for hundreds, if not thousands of years. You mean after like a thousand years, we have to get Health Canada approval to use white willow bark for pain relief? Like, on what planet is that a good idea? Because then the price doubles and triples and people are forced to take things like aspirin that causes a number of deaths each year. Aspirin's just derived from white willow bark, but it, they tweaked it. It's a novel chemical and it causes gastrointestinal bleeding. It's not the only ingredient in white willow bark that alleviates pain. Right. White willow bark works well. And white willow bark even does the minor blood thinning that, that aspirin, baby aspirin does without causing the gastrointestinal bleeding. Like it would be madness that you would take white willow bark off the market, but that's what we're about to do just, you know, by way of example. So, but it's so important for people to realize that for most of our lives, natural products were not treated like drugs. They weren't regulated as drugs. No. So, so what happened is, is we started using chemical drugs. And the reality is, is if you take a novel chemical and you introduce it to, into the human population to ingest, it turns out that's one of the most dangerous things we can do. I, I remember seeing a risk analysis some years ago, you know, breaking the Canadian population into age groups of, you know, a decade at a time. And for every age group, you know, broken up into, you know, decades, so, you know, zero to 10, 11 to 20, for every age group but one, the most dangerous thing you can do in Canada is drive to your doctor's office because you're likely to get a chemical pharmaceutical. Three of our five leading causes of death in every Western democracy are connected to chemical pharmaceutical drugs. It's, it's, it's absolutely amazing that we, have, we allow any of them, any of them. It's one of the most riskiest things that we can do. So, but being that we've decided to do that because there's such a high risk category, we actually made a rather reasonable decision to deem them all illegal. You can't just come up with a novel chemical and start selling it for a therapeutic purpose. The default in our drug regulations is that they're all illegal. They're all deemed right. to not work. They're all deemed to be dangerous. They're a blanket illegal. You can't sell any chemical drug unless you prove to Health Canada that it's safe and effective and then the benefits outweigh the risk. And then and only then will they grant you an exemption to this to you the can't rule. Sell in the form of a license. Now for chemical drugs, 
That makes perfect sense. I fully support that. I actually wish our chemical drug regulations were much stricter and actually designed for good health outcomes. But that's not what we're talking about today. Because they're there to protect intellectual property rights, by the way. They're not for good right. health. Right, right, right. So, well, all's fine and good. We come up with drug this drug law and drug regulations. When we define drug in the Food and Drug Act, to cover anything for a therapeutic purpose, we're not thinking anyone's ever going to apply that to white willow bark or cayenne pepper or turmeric that we put in our curry. Like that hadn't occurred to anyone. And when we came up with chemical drug regulations, it didn't occur to anyone that we'd pretend that that would apply to turmeric or parsley or oranges. Like, no, <laughs> no. But then, you know, in the 70s, we started to get health conscious. We started taking vitamins and minerals and starting to get there. I don't remember. So I grew up in Saskatoon. It was probably like 125,000 So did I. And I don't remember a health food store in the 70s. Like maybe there was one, but by the 80s, lots. And by the 90s, like literally starting to show up in malls and everything. Like now every mall has a health food store. But you got to understand it, 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 this grew, like it became a cultural thing because people started to realize. And now we have naturopathic doctors and homeopathic doctors and traditional Chinese practitioners. I don't remember those until I became an adult because we didn't have them. So <clears throat> Health Canada in Canada and the FDA in the United States starts seeing, oh, people are starting to use these products. Mm -hmm. Why don't we? Why don't we apply the chemical drug regulations that were never intended for natural products and never written for them? And in fact, you, you couldn't get through the new drug approval process. So when like Health Canada is going after Jim Strauss in 94, saying, oh, he's selling unapproved products. Well, you couldn't get approval. You couldn't get through the chemical drug regulations because they weren't written for you. They were totally inappropriate. The whole industry was illegal. If you want to talk about it that way i mean if, if we're going to pretend that you you have to comply with this that if for some reason things in our food supply aren't just subject to the food regulations oh no we're going to apply drug regulations well if we're going to pretend that they were never written for that and you couldn't comply right like you you, you couldn't comply <clears throat> so there's a citizen rebellion in the united states in the early 90s because People were getting mad. We were losing products. We were losing companies. And it was so big that the Congress was forced to look into it. How do we regulate natural products? And Congress realized after holding hearings that they were so safe that they passed a law deeming them to be safe. The Dietary Supplement Health and Education Act 1994 deems by law what we call natural products safe. They call them dietary supplements. Oh, cool. They classify them as foods. So they're classed as foods, they're deemed by law to be safe, and you don't need government permission to sell them. You just send the FDA a letter of intention that you're going to do this, and if the FDA doesn't object, Bob's your uncle, off you go. Now, when you import a product from the United States, do you feel unsafe? If you went to a naturopathic doctor's office in the United States, do you feel unsafe? Well, of course not. No. And we were the same. We, we weren't regulated, but we have a citizen rebellion. And Standing Committee of Health is forced to look into the issue. 
and they hold the broadest consultations in Canada's history, and they say they're safe. Don't regulate them as drugs. But we do the opposite. So the United States classifies them as foods. We classify them as drugs. The United States, they pass a law whereby law they're presumed to be safe. Well, we're in the drug category, so they're presumed by law presumed to be unsafe. In the United States, you don't need government pre-approval to sell things you've been using for thousands or hundreds of years safely and effectively. Well, in Canada, we're in the drug model, so we're deemed illegal, and we have to get Health Canada's permission. And predictably, <clears throat> products cost three times more in Canada right. for the same products. Like, we were on a Twitter space in the NCI last week, and there was a practitioner on the Twitter space saying, you know, like he, he sets up protocols for Americans and Canadians. And he says, well, I can set up the same protocol for an American and a Canadian with Canadian pays three or four times more than the American for the exact same products. Well, the only reason is, is because we overregulate. We treat them as drugs and we have to right. jump through all these hoops and it's just ridiculous. So, but we only moved halfway in the chemical drug model and there were two concessions that allowed us to tolerate it. Like our industry is just a shadow of what it was. We don't have innovative products like the Strauss heart drops and Trilopian Paraplast and all of these that were blockbusters that just saved lives and alleviated suffering. And it doesn't mean we don't have new products that are okay, but it's nothing like the innovation we had. Um, and they dumped our products down. So Health Canada to get a license would say, we well, have to drop this ingredient and you have to drop the levels of those ingredients. I had manufacturers come to me and say, you know, some of our best products, we're just gonna stop selling because to get a license, they won't work. Like we have to drop the amounts so much that they won't work. Won't be effective. Okay. But not every company did that. They just kept selling. But if you don't go to a natural health practitioner to say, yeah, take five times the amount and add this and that, you won't know. Like, we go and buy vitamin D and follow the label. Like, why even bother? I mean, it, it's, it's not, it's going to be meaningless because Health Canada's forced manufacturers to lie on the label and say, just take a thousand international units of dose. Like, what? What's the point? But we moved halfway into this model, and the two concessions were remember, we have to prove efficacy, we have to prove safety mm -hmm. and efficacy. To prove efficacy, we were allowed to use traditional use evidence. What does that mean, traditional use evidence? Well, so let's say we've been using white willow bark for a thousand years. Okay, so historical evidence. We've actually, you know, there's kind of like natural health pharmacopoeia type things. Like there's, there's established records, like in the traditional Chinese practice or Ayurveda, it like goes back thousands of years. We can use that evidence of us using a product or a herb for centuries or thousands of years as evidence that it works for that condition. Okay. And then we weren't being charged for licensing. Like the chemical pharmaceutical um, companies have to pay huge fees for each plant they manufacture in and to apply for product licenses. Like some product license application fees for complicated things like new drugs can run in the hundreds of thousands of dollars just for the application fee. The less complicated ones are dramatically less, but most of Health Canada's budget comes from the chemical pharmaceutical companies for the licensing fees. 
Yeah, I heard that over 50% is, is from that. It, well, it varies from year to year, but yeah, it's always over 50%. Huge conflict of interest. Huge. You, Correct. You don't, allow, you don't allow that in the area of health regulation. Help me out here. No, completely, but, because you don't want to start denying them or denying them all. Or if you stop an entire company, you're going to be, well, you can't pay payroll now. So anyway, we, these were the two SOPs. Like, so we could use traditional use evidence and we weren't being charged these fees. So the industry was able to motor on. Now the industry's changed. Now we've got big, some big players owned by pharmaceutical companies. We've got health food chains owned by big groups like Patterson Group and the like. It's not like it used to be where, you know, most of the industry was there because a health condition for them or their family member was solved and they're there to help people. It, it's changed. There's still a lot of people there that are there to help you. But the point is, is now we've got some big corporation interests there that are happy to see them get regulated where we lose most of the small and medium manufacturers. And what Health Canada is doing now is they've got this new initiative called the self-care framework that they're imposing. And there's several branches to this, but when you add them all together, the end goal, Jason, is going to be, the end effect will be, we won't have innovate, we won't have health practitioners and we'll have vitamins and minerals, but hardly anything else, you know, maybe single herbs in low amounts, but really the, our only our only option will be chemical pharmaceutical drugs so what are they doing to take our products away they're taking away our right to use traditional use evidence for licensing like we, we might lose three quarters of our licenses over that nobody's done an analysis what percentage is based on traditional use evidence they're going to impose the chemical drug fees not all at first they'll be just oh you'll pay an eighth or what but every year they'll they'll wrap them up because they're right. They tell us the goal is 100% harmonization. <clears throat> we are going to have to, we're going to have to comply with the chemical over-the-counter regulations. Well, most companies can't, and and then even then, the, the cost of complying is going to drive things through the roof. What's going to happen is, is a whole bunch of companies are going to stop manufacturing and turn to a handful of contract manufacturers. Right. Now, this is important. Like, do you remember about 15, 15 to 20 years ago, we used to have a whole bunch of small slaughterhouses. And so your cows and pigs didn't have to be transported hundreds of miles and be terrified and filled with, you know, adrenaline and stress hormones and suffer terribly. They could be killed in the field. We had small operations that actually were safer. You wouldn't have a big recall or anything like that. But we centralized. And do you know why we centralized? Well, we are told safety. We're always told safety. You're not safe until you're in the ground, according to the government. Because if we can centralize our food processing to a small number of large areas, then you can choke it off easily. You can turn the whole industry off really easily. That's what we're doing in the natural product industry. We're going to move everyone. Gotcha. Got you. To a handful of contract manufacturers because people won't be able to be paying these fees for for um, you know the site licenses and the like. It's another so we're going to lose companies hand over fist. <clears throat> we're also so because they're calling it the self care framework. They're saying this is only truly for over the counter use. So you know you have a headache, you go to the drugstore. There's aspirin there. There's white willow bark. You choose one of them as a painkiller but you're not seeking the advice of anyone. It's just self-care. 
Health Canada has said, if it's for a condition for which you would seek the advice of a healthcare practitioner, we're not going to license it under this scheme. Well, the only other schemes, the new drug approval process, which you can't get through. So what's going to happen to those products that are healthcare practitioners like naturopathic doctors and homo homeopathic doctors and traditional Chinese practitioners and nutritionists and herbalists? What's going to happen to those products if they can't be licensed? Because we're, we're moving now to a full-on chemical drug model. <clears throat> oh, well, when I lecture about this, I hear... I hear practitioner after practitioner, oh, we're going to go underground. We're not going to stop practicing. We're just going to form alliances and have underground products where you would have, except for another part of the self-care framework, is let's impose the chemical drug company fines. And they snuck this into the federal budget bill, which passed on June 22nd. So prior to June 22nd, if you violated the law in relation to a natural health product, your maximum fine was $5,000 per offense. But now, because they've applied the chemical drug penalties, it's $5 million per day of any violation. Oh, and you're a corporation, so you think you're going to hide behind the corporate veil? No, the corporation's liable for these $5 million a day of fines, but so is every director, officer, and employee who participates or even acquiesces in the oh, offense. Wow. Whatever that means in a criminal law cop, context what is acquiescing to an offense well no practitioner or natural health product company can withstand five million dollar day fines so i'm sorry to those practitioners who think they're going to go underground because what's going to happen is the south canada will just bust a couple of these groups and just destroy everyone involved yeah. financially so they're on the street and their family has to break up and they're you know, kids can go into the care of the state. And everybody that acquiesced as well. The rest of us will fall into line like good little sheep unless no one complies. So, so it's going to be a blood bloodbath. And oh yes, and we're going to have to use because we can't use traditional use evidence, the same standards of evidence as for chemical drugs. So you know, clinical evidence. For serious conditions, double-blind clinical trials of sizable amounts, and for less serious things, you know, case series and the like, but still too expensive for us to withstand because we don't have intellectual property rights. So it's going to be an absolute bloodbath. But you know, Jason, this is the best news I could share with your viewers. I, we, we shouldn't be, we, we should be ecstatic that Health Canada is doing this and taking blatant steps that just can't be denied are gonna take all of our products away and move us into a chemical drug model. And do you know why this is just the most wonderful yeah, thing? Yeah, I'm waiting for that yeah. part. <clears throat> because over 70% of Canadians use natural health products regularly, if not daily, and they're passionate about it. Aside from the trucker convoy, which is its own kettle of fish as protests go, I mean, you can't compare anything to the trucker convoy, and sure. we all we all owe those truckers and everyone that went to the convoy. If it wasn't for that, we would have been locked down last year, and we all know it. And we we cannot even imagine the positive impact they've had, and it's just a shame on all of us that you know some of them are being punished as political prisoners and examples. Mm. It's a shame. We all should be ashamed that this is happening. I'm ashamed. But aside from the trucker convoy, 
the largest two citizen rebellions in my lifetime, and I'm older than I look. <clears throat> Last year, the baby boomers. The largest two rebellions in my lifetime were over access to natural health products. People get so, mad. And so we can get so Natural Product Protection Association. Hopefully you can put a link, nhpa.org. So people can go there because I want people to subscribe. Give us your email address so that when we are going to require you to take action, we can send out an alert. We don't send out a whole bunch of emails. We just we don't annoy you that way, but we need to be able to liaise with you. Mm-hmm. But we're going to get people rebelling. We already have MPs telling us that, you know, they've never had this much activity in the last 10 years. And most MPs, that's their existence. The last rebellion in 2008, we shut down every MP's office. But something else has changed, Jason. Guess what? what we, we now have things called freedom groups. So we got a whole bunch of people that are not part of the natural health product. Do you need me to stop for a second? You? No, keep going. I was just putting your link up. Oh, going that way. Sorry. I got to put your link up. That's why. Oh, I see. Okay. So we've got a whole bunch of people that are parts of freedom groups that are just mad about what happened and and they actually are quite interested in this because this is the test case if we can't get parliament responsive on this issue and so what we want is basically stop regulating them like drugs stop the self-care framework move us let's harmonize with the u.s let's just have rational regulations that privilege our access to this stuff Get your hands off in Health Canada. This is silliness. And also withdraw from the WHO, because this is all coming from international regulations from the World Health Organization. And truly, truly, we need to get out of the WHO because of the treaty that we can't call a treaty. I'm sure you've had guests on about that, right? So for those of you who have no idea what I'm talking about, although we don't call it a treaty, health Canada is is positioning itself to be in the situation where if the World Health Organization declares a pandemic, much like they did recently with monkeypox, that Canada will lose its right if it doesn't follow everything the WHO says to do, the WHO can step in and actually take control over our national health policy and dictate to us how we're going to handle a pandemic. Heck no. <laughs> oh, yeah. So there you go. You need to get, you know, some guests on okay. um, about that. So it is absolutely frightening. <clears throat> so and this is part of this international harmonization. So the World Health Organization came out recently saying, hey, we actually need to look into natural products. And so why don't we require double blind clinical trials to find out if they really work? Because we don't have intellectual property rights and no one can afford them and no one will do that. So anyway, this is part of our international harmonization. But the point I'm going is, is we are going to create the largest citizen rebellion in Canadian history. And we are going to dictate the parliament that you have to get your hands off our natural health products, get Health Canada's hands off. Let's have reasonable regulation and let let's get us out of the world health organization it's funny i've got windows out there and i see the sun is is creeping up so uh, yeah so we're going to be organizing a whole bunch of initiatives and we need your viewers 
to, like I say, give us your email address. Also support us financially because we're having now to ramp up and hire people. One of the things we're going to do is basically what Take Back Alberta is doing, except nationally, creating okay. citizen organizations in all 338 federal ridings to basically educate and empower people to get involved at all levels of government, all parties. So it's not going to be, well, we want this political goal, that political goal. No, we want you to actually just be actively involved in our institutions because that's how we get them responsive to us again. Right. We can't have those people that are pushing specific agendas being the only ones involved. We need everyone involved so that you have a voice at the table and you can say, no, I actually don't want to be in a chemical drug model. So I'm going to join whatever political party I support and be a voice there to say, no, we mm -hmm. need to have different modalities for health and consenting rational adults have to be able to have the right to choose how they're gonna treat themselves. And it's truly madness to put us into a chemical drug model that we can't comply with. So the real goal is then to push us off the market and into a chemical drug model. Well, that's not reasonable. So. And maybe it's not reasonable that we have, you know, trannies reading story hours to five-year-old kids and pretending that that's okay. Might be on another planet, but, you know, it's not okay on this one. So <clears throat> that's what we're going to do. And we, you know, that's watch, because we're going to be calling for you to participate, which is why you need to give us your email address. We're not calling you to volunteer yet because we're getting those structures up, but donate, like, commit to 50 bucks a month. We get a thousand of you committing to 50 bucks a month and my gosh, we can make a big difference. And, you know, you support Jason, email him and say, what's your address? I'm going to send you some money if you're worried about being tracked, but you have to get involved now. Like, how dare you? How dare you not support people like Jason? Thank you for that. How dare you ask, you know, if I'm working for the NHPPA, oh, well, you know, what are you going to do to, protector access how dare you if you're not supporting us you're shaking the table up so how dare you you know ask us what we're going to do what are you going to do because we're in this mess because you're not doing anything that's the whole point but it's also very exciting because it's empowering you're less afraid when you're actively getting involved to get things yeah. working again and on track it's really empowering and you don't have a choice it's an ethical obligation Second commandment, we're supposed to love everyone like ourselves. God and bless. that means you have to take responsibility for your neighbor, not just your family. You have to take responsibility for your neighbor, which means participating in those institutions that are taking your neighbor's freedom away and is allowing your neighbor to be deceived and just really allowing things to get off the rail and adversarial and our government divide us. Now, I have to go because I have to go log into... Uh, do that round table but jason i look forward to talking with you in a couple of weeks and yes, thank you so much for, for having me on your show and thank you for what you do because it's sure. people like you that are making the difference you're a wonderful man sean thank you very much for the messages for today you gave me a lot to think about i'll look into getting a way for people to support me but more importantly i want to be a part of your yellowhead initiative so i want to be part of the 138 or 338 i want you to include me on that i'll go sign up uh, when volunteers are ready make sure i'm on that list but yellowhead alberta i'm happy to help you out here and i'd love to have a coffee with you and i look forward to oh yeah let's do that i didn't know we we're basically neighbors so that's fun
Yeah, I want to go see Leighton Gray. There's a couple of people I want to go meet up as well. I think Keith Wilson is somebody that's in your neighborhood as well. Yeah, uh, so. we live in the same same town. Yeah, so maybe there's a couple coffees to go have. But thank you very much, Sean. I really appreciate it. My gosh, you're inspirational. Uh, I'm full of uh, desire to help you. And I really want to. Well, not but, but what it is, Jason, is, is God's moving. Like, So it's not me and it's not you. But you'll find that, that as you're talking about things, that people are now getting inspired. And what it is is God's moving. Even the fact that we can talk about God in a podcast tells mm. us that he's moving because yep. – <clears throat> That only happens when he's around. So I truly have to run, but I look Thank forward you. to seeing you in a couple of weeks. Take care, Sean. Thank you so much. That was wonderful. You have a great day. Bye.